Markel Fultz. My name's uh, Zion Harmon. RJ Hampton. I'm Moses Brown. Nas Reed. We're here with Marvin Bagley III. You can't be serious. Are you serious? Is he for real? Hello there. You are now listening to The Appointment with Dr. J. Good afternoon, everybody. How's it going? It's Dr. J checking in on this Thursday afternoon. Hope everyone's doing well. Today on the appointment with Dr. J, I'm going to be bringing you guys a preview of the upcoming 2027 National Tournament taking place tomorrow evening. I'm going to be bringing you guys an in-depth analysis on all the first-round matchups, pointing out some players to watch you're going to want to look out for in the first round, um, which matchups have some upset potential, and I'm going to be giving my own predictions for each region of the bracket, um, then ultimately the Final Four, and who I think is going to win this year's national championship. But before we jump into that, I'd like to uh, touch on some news and notes to start off the episode. Um, since we're pretty well caught up with everything in the league, um, makes no sense to wait until the end of the episode to jump into that. So we're going to start off the episode with news and notes, um, then we're going to jump into a national tournament preview. And then after that's done, I'm going to revisit some of the questions you guys asked last time in terms of All-Americans, uh, Coach of the Year nominees. We're going to jump into a little bit uh, more depth into those areas. And then uh, lastly, we're going to finish off the episode with this week's Team of the Week, which is the Indiana Hoosiers. The plan is to keep this one pretty short today. Uh, don't want to go over a half hour. So without further ado, let's get the ball rolling. News and notes. It's only been about two days since we've done the last podcast, so in terms of news and notes, there hasn't been a whole lot that's been going on league-wide, but there have been a few notable events that have taken place that I'd like to touch on. First of all, uh, two of our long-term members of the league, Bryce and Lord Firebeard, are deciding to hang it up after the season's over. Both of them have announced their retirement officially um, over the past couple of days, so we'd like to thank them for all their service the past... uh, I mean, going on a year, this league's been around. They've been here since the beginning. And I'd like to thank them for all their their contributions over the years, and we'd like to wish them the best of luck in their retirement. Um, next up, we have the annual conference uh, rankings done by Lord Firebeard. He did those this year. Um, and our top five conferences are, well, there's only five, but the rankings for those conferences, rather, are the SEC is in fifth place, as always. The PCC drops to fourth. The Midwest Conference is in third place. The ACC was your second best conference this year. And the Big North Conference makes a huge leap to first. And they are the best conference in the NCBCA circa 2027. And lastly, the last thing I'd like to touch on before we move on to the National Tournament Preview is the results from Tuesday night's conference tournaments. I'm just going to run through the uh, winners from all the tournaments in case you guys missed it. Um, out of the Midwest Conference, we have the Memphis Tigers. They win their third straight conference title. The Kentucky Wildcats, on the other hand, representing the SEC with their first ever conference title. Congrats to Kyle. Um, out of the PCC, the Oregon Ducks repeat as the champions. Um, UConn takes it in the Big North. And in the ACC, the Virginia Cavaliers stun the world by taking down the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets in the ACC title game. 
A huge congratulations goes out to all our conference tournament champions this year, but the main fix into this podcast is taking a look at the national tournament, which is exactly what we're going to jump into right now. Here is the national tournament preview. Dr. J breaks down the 2027 national tournament in three, two, one. We're going to kick off this year's national tournament preview in the Midwest region where the number one seed Michigan Wolverines, number one overall seed, are going to be taking on the Florida Gators, the eight seed out of the SEC. I like Michigan in this one, obviously. Um, I think this is not a very good matchup for Florida. They don't have much beside William Diedrich and James uh, Delgado to rely on, whereas this Michigan team has just gotten Joshua Hollingsworth back. I don't see them having any problems with the Gators here. I'm picking Michigan by 20, 30-plus in this one. Assuming the Wolverines move on, they will face the winner of the 4-5 matchup between the Virginia Cavaliers and the Colorado State Rams. Colorado State was battling some injuries in the conference tournament. Um, they should be mostly healthy heading into the national tournament now that they have Howard Ryu back. But I'm picking Virginia here. They're fresh off a win in the ACC tournament. They have a very balanced roster, and I think they're going to have enough firepower to take down this Colorado State team who does not have very much help off the bench. I'm going with the Cavaliers here in a close one. The 2-7 matchup in the Midwest region features the Connecticut Huskies taking on the Virginia Tech Hokies. I'm going to go with Connecticut here. Um, like Virginia, they're fresh off a big win in the Big North Conference Tournament. Um, whereas Virginia Tech doesn't have a whole lot going for them. I know they have Nathan Silvers, who may or may not be the best player in this game um, as in terms of his, just a, a guy's singular impact on his team. Um, I think Silvers has a huge impact on the Virginia Tech team and is capable of carrying them to victory, but I think Connecticut just has too much fire, firepower. Um, I'm not sure who stops Douglas Brown. Um, and after Douglas Brown, they just have so many more options top to bottom on this roster. I think Connecticut's going to blow by the Hokies in this one. And if they move on, um, they're going to play the winner of Northwestern and Marquette. Um, that's a 3-6 matchup. I think everybody is thinking that Northwestern's going to win this game, but I really like Marquette as a, as a spoiler here. Um, I think uh, they have arguably the two best players in this game, in uh, Michael Jordan, the sophomore point guard, and Melvin Vasquez, the senior forward. Um, Northwestern does have a few All-American candidates in uh, Paul Jopl- in uh, Paul Dean sorry, and Kirby Joplin. But, I mean, Marquette won 25 games this year. They're no slouch. And Northwestern did not make it to the Big North Final, so their last game is a loss. Um, they don't have that momentum coming into it. And, you know, outside of this 3-6 matchup, I don't see another upset in this in this uh, part of the region, this uh, this Midwest region, rather. So I'm going to roll with Marquette here to upset Northwestern in the first round. Um, I just think those two guys at the top of Marquette's roster, Vasquez and Jordan, are capable of going off. Um, so I'm going to pick them to win this one and move on to play Connecticut. And with that, we have our four winners of the first round in the Midwest region. Um, that gives us a Michigan matchup against Virginia in the second round. And we're going to have a two matchup of Connecticut against number six, Marquette. So we're going to start off with Michigan and Virginia. Uh, once again, I like Michigan in this matchup. I just think they're too talented, um, too deep. Once again, Virginia is a really deep team as well. But Michigan's depth is just a lot better than Virginia's depth. I don't see Virginia 
you know, having the firepower to take down this Michigan team. I think they can compete. But Michigan at the top of the roster with Hollingshead, uh, they have J.P. Mobley Jr. and Xavier Bowman. I think they're going to fly through this matchup um, pretty comfortably. And I think they're going to move on to play UConn um, in the Elite Eight. I think Connecticut is going to take down Marquette. Um, I think they're too good. To, to lose that game, really. And even if they play Northwestern, I like their chances. So that's going to set us up with a 1-2 matchup in the Elite Eight between Michigan and Connecticut. That's a rematch of the Big Northeast final from this previous year's conference tournament. Um, and in that game, I like Michigan to get by Connecticut. They weren't able to do it in the conference tournament, but they were without Joshua Hollingshead. They're back at full strength in this game, and I just think they're the better team whenever both teams are at 100%. I'm going to pick the Michigan Wolverines to return to the Final Four out of the Midwest region in 2027. Next, let's head across the country to the West region where the number one seed Oregon Ducks are going to be taking on, you had one jobs, Xavier Musketeers, the eight seed in the first round. Obviously, Oregon has to be the favorite in this game. Um, they have too much depth. They're a very, very strong team from top to bottom. And with guys like Durrell Brooks um, and Jacob Tremblay leading the way um, as upperclassmen, I really think Oregon is not going to lose this game. But with that being said, I think Xavier does have a chance to, to uh, keep this one competitive. Oregon has had some woes um, in the past couple of years when it comes to the national tournament. And the Musketeers do have a an impact player in William Stanley, um, arguably one of the best players in NCBCA history, who is capable of single-handedly carrying them to a victory in this tournament. Um, I don't think you can count out Xavier, but I wouldn't bet a whole lot of money on them in this one. Um, I'm going to roll with the Ducks here, winning by about 20 or so. Um, but there is upset potential. If the Ducks move on, they will play the winner of Duke and Colorado. Um, this this matchup pits Storm against his former rival back when he was at Colorado State in the Colorado Boulder Buffaloes. Um, in this one, I don't know. This is a really tough matchup, um, arguably one of the toughest to determine in the whole tournament, I think, as far as the first round is concerned. Duke has a really deep roster, but they don't necessarily have a guy who stands out, um, whereas Colorado Boulder has a clear big three in uh, Haynes, uh, Britton, and uh, the last one is escaping me right now. But uh, they have a really, really solid uh, lineup at the top, um, and I think they're capable of hanging with a really strong Duke team. Um, Wilson, that's the other one, sorry. Colorado's big three of Haynes, Wilson, and Britton. Um, you know, I'm going to pick Colorado Boulder in this one. I think, uh, you know, Duke is coming off a loss in the ACC tournament. Um, so is Colorado. But I think Colorado at the top is better than Duke at the top, which feels weird to say. But I think they just have too many guys at the top in the, that big three, Haynes, Wilson, Britton, that can just go off in this game. Um, if you look at their two rosters, Colorado's third leading scorer is Joseph Wilson, averages about 13 points per game, which would be good for second on Duke's roster behind Brandon Short, who averages 12.9 points per game. So I think Colorado's firepower at the top is going to lead them to a victory over Duke, um, who's known more as a defensive team either way, but I'm going to pick Colorado here. Uh, I'm going to pick the five seed to move past Duke and advance to play Oregon in the Sweet 16. On the other side of the West region, we have uh, the two-seeded Texas Tech Red Raiders going up against Georgetown. Uh, 
in the 2-7 matchup. And this is another matchup that I really like its upset potential. Um, I think I'm actually going to be picking Georgetown in this one. Um, Texas Tech has overperformed big time this year. If you look at their roster, they're deep. They have a lot of solid pieces, but they're not a two-seed on paper. Um, on paper, I think they're more of uh, a team maybe a low three, and like I think they'd fit better into that 4-5 matchup, but they've just performed so well this season that the selection committee really couldn't leave them off the two line. Um, they performed well in the Midwest Conference Tournament, as expected, and they really earned that two seed, um, whereas a team like Georgetown has underperformed this year, but they do have a lot of really, really nice pieces on that roster. Um, they're led by Aiden Meeks, the freshman, uh, freshman point guard out of uh, New York, and they also have a couple other guys from the Northeast who are really, really nice players, too. They have Raimondo Collier, who is their leading scorer, and they have Milton Hall, a five-star last year. Um, this is a really good team at the top. They have some decent depth at the top of the bench. And, you know, I don't think this Texas Tech team is, is that impressive on paper. They pl- they perform extremely well on the court. But I think Georgetown is more talented. Um, they have better players at the top. And for that reason, I'm rolling with the Georgetown Hoyas to upset Texas Tech in the first round. Um, and the last matchup of our West region is Texas A&M, another Texas school, taking on the six-seed Villanova Wildcats. Um, Texas, Texas A&M, sorry, went 29 and one in the regular season. They had a great performance, but their strength of schedule really hurt them in the seeding here. You see them only earning a three seed despite only losing one game all season. Um, and that's because they really didn't play anyone. They don't have any great wins on their roster. Um, whereas a team like Villanova has, you know, underperformed a little bit as of late, but that's mainly because they're missing Thomas Stewart, who is their starting point guard. But they have a lot of great wins on their resume. I think they're better bat- they're better battle-tested than Texas A&M is. And for that reason, I'm going to pick them to win this game. Um, they have some pretty nice wins throughout the season already. Um, I just think they're going to be better prepared coming into this game. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Villanova to upset here. I think there's a lot of upset potential in the West region. Um, so, yeah, my first-round picks are Oregon, Georgetown, Villanova, and Colorado Boulder. Three lower seeds, I think, are going to move on from the West region. So, taking a look at the Sweet 16 matchups in the West region, we're going to have Oregon taking on Colorado Boulder. This is another exceptional matchup. And why not pick another upset? I'm going to go Colorado Boulder here. I really, really like the top of their roster. Um, Oregon has a great team, and they've performed extremely well this season. Um, but... I just don't know if they have enough to get by a team like Colorado Boulder, um, especially if Colorado, assuming they're coming off a big win against Duke, I think they'll have a lot of momentum. Oregon has a very deep roster, a lot of guys who can contribute, but that firepower at the top of Colorado Boulder's lineup is really scary um, for opponents to go up against. Um, so for that reason, I'm going to pick them to move on, and I think they're going to play Georgetown in the Elite Eight. Um, it's going to be a 5-7 matchup. I think Georgetown's going to get by Villanova. Villanova is still without Thomas Stewart, their starting point guard. Um, and I really like Georgetown's roster. I think much like Colorado Boulder, they have some really, really nice pieces at the top. And assuming that is the Elite Eight matchup in this region, I like Colorado Boulder again. I think they're a better version of Georgetown. Georgetown has Hall, Caldy, and Meeks at the top. But I think uh, Colorado Boulder's big three of Haynes, Wilson, and Britton is significantly better than Georgetown's. And... I think both teams have a decent amount of contributing pieces, um, secondary scoring who can help those those big threes for each of their respective teams. I'm going to pick Colorado Boulder um, 
a pretty bold pick to come out of the West region. From the West Coast, we head over to the East region, where the number one seed Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets take on Vanderbilt in the first round. I don't think this is the same Vanderbilt team we're used to seeing the last couple of years, whereas Georgia Tech has a very, very strong roster this year, led by Player of the Year candidate Kevin Back. I'm going to pick Georgia Tech to move on pretty easily in that first round matchup. And I think they're going to move on to play the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, Wisconsin was my pick to win the Big North Tournament. That did not happen, but they had an impressive showing nonetheless. They're taking on Arkansas in the first round, who's another team I really like. Um, they have some nice options on that team with Clinton Wilson, Anthony Dufour, and Tommy Reddick. But I think Wisconsin just has some exceptional players. Claude Hansen has, like Kevin Back, had a player of the year type season. They have Franklin White, one of the best big men in the country. And they have Johnny Gage, who, as long as he's hitting shots, this Badgers team is deadly. I think they're going to move on to play Georgia Tech in the Sweet 16. The 2-7 matchup features the Kentucky Wildcats, the SEC champions, against the 7-seed Kansas Jayhawks of the Midwest Conference. Um, I like the two-seeded Wildcats in this one. Kamari Lands, um, this region seems to be the region of the Player of the Year candidate. Um, Kamari Lands of Kentucky is one of the best players in the country. The graduate transfer from Marquette. Um, I, I don't think Kansas really has enough on this roster. They have some decent pieces. They're a pretty balanced team, led by Alan Knight, the senior. But Kentucky is much better. Um, they might not have a whole lot of depth, but their starting rotation is good. They have a couple good pieces off the bench, and they have by far the best player in this game. I think the Wildcats move on. The 3-6 matchup in the East region is between the Boston College Eagles against the Colorado... Uh, Sorry, not Colorado, the California Golden Bears. Um, this is a matchup is pretty interesting. California has some nice pieces. They're not as strong as they have been in past years, but they're led by Jack Larson, who is a former five-star player. Um, he's having an exceptional season. All-American candidate, 100%. Um, Boston College is a really good team, too. They have a lot of, uh, a lot of big men, that's for sure. Um, they're led by, well, about seven big men, I think, and Mike Taylor. Um, they have a pretty balanced team. Pretty good defensively, not the best offensive team in the country. Um, I'm going to pick California to upset Boston College here. I think uh, California just has the right amount of pieces to uh, come out on top here. Jack Larson, like I said, has been awesome. And they have William Morales and Michael Dela Cruz, who are two really strong pieces as well. Andrew Harris, the shooting guard, is a senior. Um, he's putting up uh, 13 points per game and about five assists, having another great year. I just think California is going to knock off Boston College. Their their players are much better at the top of the roster, um, whereas Boston College is more balanced throughout. Um, I'm going to go with the Golden Bears to move on in this one. Looking ahead of the Sweet 16 matchups from the East region, we're going to have Georgia Tech taking on Wisconsin. Um, I really, really love this Wisconsin team, but I'm going to pick Georgia Tech to move on to the Elite Eight once again. I think Kevin Back is the best player in this game, and I think Georgia Tech's starting five is really strong. Um, I, I don't see them losing this game, but I do think Wisconsin keeps it close. And I think Georgia Tech will move on to play the Kentucky Wildcats. I think they're going to get by either Boston College or California pretty easily in that game. Um, I see a big tournament from Kamari Lands, and I think everything about this East region is setting up for it to be a battle of two Player of the Year candidates between Kevin Back and Kamari Lands in the Elite Eight, which I think is going to happen. Assuming Kentucky and Georgia Tech match up in the Elite Eight, 
Um, I'm going to go with Georgia Tech, the one seed to return to the Final Four um, for the third consecutive year, uh, I believe. Um, I just think the roster is so much more balanced um, compared to a team like Kentucky, who really relies on Kamari Lands. Um, it's no secret that Georgia Tech does rely a lot on Kevin Back, but they have some phenomenal pieces top to bottom on this roster. Um, they could easily go 10 deep in the tournament just with the talent they have on this team. Um, they have plenty of former five stars, high four stars throughout the roster. Um, just a really, really nice team. Antonio Hamlin, I think the grad transfer too, is going to come up big for Georgia Tech in this one. Um, so yeah, my final four pick out of the East region is the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Last and certainly not least is the South region, where we have the number one Memphis Tigers taking on the number eight Nebraska Cornhuskers and... As much as I'd love to see Nebraska pull off a huge upset here, um, I think uh, I think Memphis is going to take this one. They're just way too talented, top to bottom. Um, I think to lose a game like this, they have been vulnerable in a lot of other matchups in previous years. Um, for instance, where they lost to Stanford and Auburn in back-to-back years, um, who were both eight seeds. But I don't think Nebraska is as talented as those teams, and I think Memphis is a lot better than they were in both of those years that they lost. Um, so I'm going to go with Memphis to move on, um, and I think they're going to play. Um, I'm going to roll with Arizona in that 4-5 matchup. It's a four-seed Notre Dame taking on number five Arizona. Notre Dame has some really nice pieces. Um, they have Brian Lyle, number one freshman in the country. Um, they have Paul McIntyre and Christopher Haar. Um, but there's something about this Arizona team I really like. I think they have a lot of balance. Um, I think the senior downer is going to come through and score a lot in that game. And William Hodge, um, who is Arizona sophomore point guard, I really like what he's been doing this year. Um, I don't really have a lot of bases behind this pick. It's just I really like Arizona's roster. Sure, they're not big on big men, and Notre Dame has a great one in this one. But I don't know. I, I just I feel like Arizona's going to win this game. That's just a hunch that I have, so I'm going to roll with that. I think they're going to move on and play Memphis in the Sweet 16. As far as the two remaining matchups in the South region, we have the two-seed Oklahoma Sooners taking on the seven-seed Michigan State Spartans. Sparty has underperformed this season despite having a pretty good roster. Um, they can go pretty deep. They have a lot of really talented players on this team, but they, like I said, they have underperformed, whereas Oklahoma has had a fantastic season led by Player of the Year candidate Gerardo Watts. They have a lot of nice pieces outside of just Watts. They have David Gardner, the senior point guard. They have Bob Williams, the sophomore point guard, and they have a lot of really nice big men who are going to swallow up boards against this Michigan State team. I like the Sooners to move on to play Miami in the uh, Sweet 16. Uh, the remaining matchup in the South region is Miami, the three seed against the six seed Indiana. Indiana is you know, they're still getting there on the rebuild. They kind of fell off for a little bit. Um, they have some nice pieces still in Jerome Styles um, that are on the roster at the moment. But this Miami team is too well constructed. They have the Butler graduate transfer, Ryan Simmon, who has been scoring the ball lights out this season. And they have another All-American in Sidney Sabalos, um, who I think is going to dominate on the interior against this Indiana team. He's put up 17 and 10 throughout the regular season. And I don't see a reason that that's going to stop in this matchup. I think they move on to play Oklahoma in the Sweet 16. Looking at the Sweet 16 matchups in the South region, we have number one Memphis against number five Arizona. Um, I hate to sound like a homer here, but I think Memphis is going to win this matchup. 
Um, they're just too talented. Um, a team like Arizona has a really a lot of really nice pieces, but they are a young, young team. Memphis is pretty young too, but they have a lot more championship experience from last year. Um, this is their fourth straight Final Four that they've been to. So, I mean, pretty much everybody on this roster has that experience playing in big games already, and I think that's going to come through against an Arizona team. Memphis is more talented, and they have the experience, so it's really hard to pick against them in a game like this. And I think this next matchup against o- uh, between Oklahoma and Miami might be the best matchup in the tournament if it happens. Um, these are two exceptionally good teams. Um, Miami obviously has a lot of firepower offensively with Sabellos and, uh, and Ryan Simmon. But the roster beyond that is really strong as well. Um, Tyron Thatcher, Rodolfo Chin, Trent Nash Jr. This Miami team has so many weapons, and they're going up against a team with almost as many weapons in the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, they played a tough schedule in the Midwest Conference this season, came out 25-5. and They did lose to Memphis in the conference tournament, but, I mean, that one really could have gone either way. It was a one-point loss. This Oklahoma team is really well built, but I don't think this is their year. I think they're going to have a tough time against a Miami team who is just better offensively. Um, I think the interior presence of Sidney Sabellos is going to be a problem for Oklahoma to stop. And I think Ryan Simmons as a wing is going to counter the scoring that Gerardo, that Gerardo Watts is going to provide um, for Oklahoma. I think Miami's guards in Rodolfo Chin and Tyron Thatcher match up pretty well against Oklahoma's guards. Oklahoma runs a three-guard set, three-point guard set. So I'm going to go with Miami here. I think they move on to play Memphis in the Elite Eight. And... Uh, I think Miami's going to win. I think Miami is the Final Four representative from the South region. I think they're going to move past Memphis. Um, They have played, uh, Miami and Memphis have, in previous uh, national tournaments the last couple of years. Memphis has come out on top in those matchups, but I think Miami is going to move on this year. Um, Sabellos and Simmons are probably the best duo in the country. Um, I think Miami starting five matches up pretty well against Memphis's. they're one of the few teams that I think one through five on that roster are are just as deep and just as talented as Memphis is. And I think that, you know, with, with the leadership that that Miami team has, they have, you know, probably more experience. They have a lot of seniors on that roster compared to Memphis. I'm going to roll with Miami to move on in what I think is going to be a high, high-scoring Elite Eight matchup between the Tigers and the Hurricanes. My South Region champion is the Miami Hurricanes. Okay, so today's podcast was a little bit of a last-minute decision, so I didn't ask ahead of time um, for any questions um, or anything to be revised on this episode. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look back at some of the questions that were asked on last week's show and give you guys um, a more clear answer on some of those. So we're going to start off with you had one jobs question um, concerning All-American and Coach of the Year predictions. Um, I'm actually on the All-American committee, so... Um, yet last night I submitted my final ballot for both the All-American and Freshman All-American uh, teams. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read you my lists, um, who I submitted for each of those teams. Um, this is by no means the final answer for those, but this is just, um, I think it'll give you guys a better indication of who to look out for um, for a couple players who might end up being on those teams. So I'm going to start off with my second team, all freshmen. Um, the five players on my second team all freshmen are Curtis Taylor, 
from the Texas Longhorns, Aiden Meeks, Georgetown, Anthony Hanks, Memphis, Diego Lopez, Texas Tech, and Matthew Saldana from Duke. My first team all-freshman was George Page, Memphis, Robert Jett, Texas A&M, Brian Lyle, Notre Dame, Frank Januszak, Purdue, and my pick for freshman of the year was Henry Phillips from the Penn State Nittany Lions. Now I'm going to move on and let you guys know my picks for the three All-American teams this year. I'll start with my third team selection. My third team All-Americans were Vernon Jones of Utah, Michael Jordan of Marquette, George Baker of Connecticut, Daryl Brooks of Oregon, and Melvin Vasquez of Marquette. My second team All-Americans are Jonas Nichols of Memphis, Paul Dean of Northwestern, Ryan Simmon of Miami, Francisco Britton of Colorado, and Kevin Back of Georgia Tech. And lastly, my first team All-Americans are Alejandro Morgan from Texas A&M, Gerardo Watts of Oklahoma, Sidney Sabellos from Miami, Claude Hansen of Wisconsin, and my pick for player of the year this year was Kamari Lands of the Kentucky Wildcats. And so next, I'm going to answer the second part of You Had One Job's question, which is my Coach of the Year picks. Um, my personal opinion is that this is a two-horse race for the most part. I think it's between L. Random and Chill. Um, I think a guy like Matt, just off the top of my head, is another one who makes a really good case for it. But my personal pick for Coach of the Year this year is L. Random. Um, I know he's leaving, so I hope that doesn't discourage some voters to uh, vote for him, but I think what he's done with his team is pretty special. Um, Texas Tech is one of the worst jobs in the country and is easily replaceable um, just based on the values that they started out with. Um, what he's been able to do there, um, he's been able to score some five-star recruits, a lot of high fours, and just build up a really, really nice team there. That's, that's set up pretty well for the future as well. I think he's done the most impressive job this year. Um, and that's not to knock uh, Chill down at all. I just think that he had a bit more to start out with, whereas a guy like Al Random has completely built this team from nothing. Um, Texas Tech is one of the worst programs in the league, and this season they're a two-seed in the national tournament, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, my coach of the year pick is Al Random from Texas Tech. I also received a few questions last time um, concerning Cinderella teams and some vulnerable high seeds. Um, that was more so for the conference tournaments, but I'm going to run through the same things now that we have our national tournament bracket in front of us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go uh, one by one um, through all the regions and list my most vulnerable high seeds, or the one through four seeds, which one I think is most likely to lose in the first round, and I'm going to pick one low seed, so one seed between four and eight, who I think is most likely to make a final four run in this year's tournament. So we're going to start off in the Midwest region. I think the most vulnerable high seed is Northwestern, the three seed. And I think the team that is most likely to make a Cinderella run to the final four out of the teams in the Midwest region is Marquette. In the West, I think the most vulnerable high seed is Texas A&M. Um, while I don't think they are going to lose necessarily in the first round, although I picked them to. Um, I think they're probably the worst out of the four teams who are high seeds in the West region. Um, 
and that's mainly because they haven't really played anyone this year. I'd feel a lot more comfortable with them moving on if they had a a better strength of schedule, but they haven't been vulnerable at all, and the national tournament is going to exploit all their weaknesses. I think the Cinderella team in the West region is Georgetown. Um, I picked them to go pretty far in this tournament, and I think they have a really strong roster that is capable of doing so. In terms of the East region, I think the most vulnerable high seed is Boston College. Um, honorable mention to Kentucky. Um, I don't think Boston College has enough star power on this team to uh, move on very far in this tournament. It's certainly possible that they can um, because I don't think they have a particularly tough draw in California or even Kentucky in the second round um, because Kentucky is, is essentially just a one-man team with Kamari Lands. But that's besides the point. I think Boston College is the most vulnerable high seed in the East region. And the East region's Cinderella team... Um, I don't see a whole lot of Cinderella potential here, but I'm going to roll with California simply because I think they're probably the best low seed in this region. Um, I would go with Arkansas, but I, I don't like them in that matchup against Wisconsin. So I feel a lot more comfortable that a team like California is going to move on to beat Boston College and that they could potentially take down a team like Kentucky or Kansas in the Sweet 16. And lastly, we're going to move on to the South region. I think the most vulnerable high seed in that region um, is Notre Dame, uh, and that's that's only by process of elimination because I don't think Memphis, Oklahoma, or Miami are particularly vulnerable in their first-round matchups. Um, so with that said, I'm going to have to go with Notre Dame, and I think the most likely Cinderella team out of those bottom seeds is probably Michigan State. Um, I think they're a pretty talented team. They have a lot of nice pieces. Um, it's going to take a lot to get by Oklahoma and Miami, but... I mean, this is a tough region, especially for the high seeds. So I, I think they have as good a shot as any of those uh, those lower-seeded teams to make a nice run. So essentially, that's a wrap on uh, this episode's questions. Um, with that said, we're going to move on to the Team of the Week to finish off this Thursday afternoon edition of The Appointment with Dr. J. The Team of the Week for this February 22nd edition of the podcast is none other than the two-time NCBCA champion, Indiana Hoosiers. The Hoosiers have recently been named a sixth seed in this year's 2027 National Tournament, where they'll be taking on Miami in the first round. Um, as you guys know, I'm not a huge fan of that matchup for the Hoosiers, but that does not necessarily mean I am against the Hoosiers' prospects looking into the future. Um, taking a look at the Hoosiers' roster this year, um, I don't think it's ideal to contend um, immediately, but they have a lot of really nice pieces moving forward, and I think a few years down the line, there's no reason to believe this Indiana team won't be as good as they are, as they were um, in the early days of the uh, college basketball sphere. They have five returning players of their seven scholarships um, currently on the roster. Um, they are losing Jerome Stiles, who is far and away their best player, and they are losing Eddie Paulus, who is a senior small forward um, in his fifth year with the team. Um, but with that said, they have a lot of freshman pieces on this team. Um, take a look at Gregory Edison, Timothy Manley, and Corey Conley. Um, I think those are three guys who are starting for them 
at the moment as freshmen who are going to have a big impact next year. I think William Post off the bench, the big man, he's averaging almost nine rebounds per game already as a true freshman. I think he's going to be able to contribute um, and help fill the void left by Jerome Stiles next year. Um, I'm not 100% sure if this is a title contender team um, one year into the future, but they certainly have a lot of talent coming back, I think, with a strong recruiting class. Filling out the remaining three spots on this team, um, they could easily jump to the forefront of the Big North Conference at the very least. Um, I think they're going to get back to a high seed in the tournament next year, as long as they have a nice year in recruiting. They have a really nice core already in place with five freshmen in the rotation. So I really like Indiana's prospects moving forward. Um, as far as a few recommendations heading into recruiting, um, to be honest, I love the roster construct already on this team, mainly because I'm a big fan of teams who build around wings. That's kind of something that I've tried to do at Memphis myself. So you have guys like Edison and Manley who are already in the high 60s and overall. Um, you know, they're only going to get better with time. So I, I don't necessarily think the wing is a glaring hole for this team, a glaring weakness. But I think if you could maybe try and find a combo guard or maybe another point guard to pair with Corey Conley, whether that's in the starting rotation or off the bench, um, I think it'll never hurt you to get more strength in the backcourt, another ball handler. Um, that's certainly something that the team is lacking right now, another ball handler and passer. You have a lot of three-point shooting on the wing right now um, and some decent scoring. But if Indiana had another point guard on the roster besides Conley, um, that might be a big help for them. Not necessarily a point guard per se, but another guard who can handle the ball and handle some of that secondary ball handling uh, duties. That would be ideal. And I would also probably recommend going for a big man, um, whether that's a power forward, forward center. Um, I think William Post is probably going to be able to carry that uh, carry that out pretty well moving forward. But um, outside of Post, the team is looking pretty slim um, as far as big men are concerned. Rebounding is definitely going to be an issue if you do build around a team that is small um, and that contains a lot of wings. Um, it, it won't be as much of an issue um, considering you're going to be playing fast-paced a lot, um, building around wings, but it is important to at least carry you know, two big men on the roster. I would recommend filling two of your three slots, um, one of them with a point guard or someone who can handle the ball and operate in the backcourt, and the other one with a big man. Um, that third one, you know, go for it, whatever you feel is best for your team. But I think those are two big holes that you're going to have to fill in the roster next season. Um, if you can find, you know, some elite four-star, five-star players, you can do that right away. I think this Indiana team can make a lot of noise as early as next season and well into the future with the nice core you've built already. And with that, that's a wrap on today's episode of The Appointment with Dr. J. I'd like to thank you all for listening to today's show. Hope it, uh, hope it ends up being pretty quick by the time I finish editing it. Um, I don't want to uh, put out another hour-long show for you guys, just trying to get something out for you guys to listen to, um, whether it's on your commute to work, on commute to school, um, just trying to kill some time, help a slow day like today go by. I know we're all anxious for the national tournament tomorrow, so uh, I hope you enjoy the podcast, and uh, take care. Best of luck in the tournament tomorrow. Happy Thursday, guys. Take it easy. Okay. We're not ending the podcast right now. Um, I was just about to wrap it up, and I checked announcements, and Kyle dropped the uh, early entries for the draft and some graduate transfers. 
um, for next season. So uh, I figure I'm going to take a quick second to talk about that um, before we wrap up today's show. I don't think this will take too long. Um, I'm going to run through the graduate transfers first um, and then take a look at the early entrance. I don't think there will be too many surprises there, um, but the graduate transfers uh, might be a little surprising. It's uh, pretty tough to predict uh, who's going to actually graduate transfer, so we're going to run through those really quickly. The first graduate transfer, um, looking for a, a new home in 2028, is Brandon Short of Duke. He says he wants a good education as he stayed four years at Duke, but at the same time he's seen his teammates get drafted over the years. He wants to go to a school that is located near a major pro basketball team so that he can try and take the next step to the pros. Well, this uh, I, I think this benefits a school maybe like USC, just off the top of my head, um, who has a good education. Maybe Stanford is a good fit for Brandon Short. Um, regardless of where Brandon Short ends up, I think he's going to be an exceptional player. Um, he was arguably Duke's best player this year. Um, at least he's a really good scorer. Um, he's done a lot over the years for that program, been an important piece for Storm in uh, his, his rebuild of Duke. Um, so I think whoever gets short is going to get an exceptional player. Next player on the graduate transfers list is Thomas Gaskins of uh, UW from Washington. Uh, Kyle writes, Thomas Gaskins has never won shit at Washington. Um, right on. He will join a team that was over 500 last year and can seriously contend in the national tournament. We all saw how that worked out with Ryan Numbard this year who wanted to make the national tournament um, and he went to USC. Uh, where USC did not make the tournament. So hopefully Gaskins finds a better home than Nembard did in uh, USC. Um, I mean, Gaskins could realistically end up just about anywhere. Um, most of the active coaches are able to keep a team that's over 500 and have a pretty nice streak of making the national tournament. I have no idea where Thomas Gaskins ends up next year. Next on the list of graduate transfers, we have Benito Montoya of Connecticut. He was promised stardom at UConn, but was overshadowed by other strong guards. He wants the ball in his hands at all times and wants a really fun party school to close out his time in college. Beer and basketball, the story of Benito Montoya. Um, so I don't really know where Benito Montoya is going to go get a couple brews and play some ball. Um, I'm not too familiar with the U.S. party scene, so I'm not going to... I'm not going to make a prediction here, but I would assume that there are a lot of good options for Benito to go play at. Um, he's obviously had a great career at Connecticut, so I'm looking forward to see where he ends up. Jarrell Meeks of Clemson is next. He left his home in California to go play basketball at Clemson, but he wants to return close to home. Um, he's from Sacramento for his last year of basketball. Um, he'd like to be on a team that can contend after this last season at Clemson didn't go as well as he thought. Um, right off the top of my head, I think Cal is a really good team um, for Jarrell Meeks to go to. It's all going to depend on who Cal's coach is this coming year with Lord Firebeard stepping down. But whoever ends up getting the Cal job pretty much has a layup in Jarrell Meeks should they choose to take it. Next graduate transfer is Frank Gaines from Florida, or as Kyle writes, Floridia. Um, Frank Gaines is a bit undersized for a power forward. He's more of a stretch four. Give him an elite inside center to work with, and he'll love to finish his career at U School. He also likes all four seasons. So God knows where Frank Gaines is going to end up, but it certainly won't be Gainesville. Um, he could pretty much play anywhere with a good center um, and where it snows. 
Next up, we have Kevin Rice of Villanova. He's had two legendary coaches over his career, Sherlock Tom and YK. He'd like to go to an accomplished coach and hone his craft. Rice would also like help getting to the MBL. Um, once again, lots of opportunities there. Um, no use predicting where Rice ends up. Next up, we have Richard Williams of West Virginia. Was a total star at West Virginia. He'd like to go to a school where he can be the number one option inside. Scouts have also projected Williams as incredibly close to the MBL. Help him get there. Um, I'll just vouch for Richard Williams as someone who's been uh, in the Midwest Conference for a while um, and who's been doing like the awards every single season. Um, Richard Williams is a baller. Um, he can score the ball incredibly well. So if you're looking for a power forward um, and your team lacks scoring, um, go for Richard Williams. Um, this guy's a really, really nice player, and I think he'd be a great fit at a lot of schools who are, who are just missing that, that scoring punch. Next up, we have Gaylord Kane from Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's campus life is what sold Gaylord Kane on coming to Tech. He wants new experiences somewhere else in America. He'd like somewhere he can really experience nature and take in the little things in life. Um, yep, so Gaylord Kane wants to get away from Virginia Tech and experience life. James Mills from Virginia was a standout basketball player in college. However, during his time at UVA, he took up lacrosse. He'd like to be a two-sport athlete and wants to go to an elite lacrosse school that can also provide him with a starting role in basketball. So, uh, obviously I'm not too well-versed in uh, lacrosse, um, so God knows where James Mills ends up. Um, next up, we have SMU Southern Methodist's Ali Curry. Knows he isn't anything special and will likely not be playing basketball professionally. As a result, he'd like to stay close to his hometown of Prosper, Texas. He wants a good education as well to help prepare him for life after college. Rumor has it he'd like to get into marketing. Um, so, just off of this description, I, I think Texas is probably a good fit for Ali Curry. I know Wolf likes going after big men, and I know that Ali Curry is a, is a forward center. I, I think off the top of my head that Texas is the highest-rated education school um, from the state of Texas. I, I know that SMU is, is relatively high as well, but I don't think Texas Tech and TCU are. I don't think Baylor is either. Maybe A&M is, is all right. But I, th I think as long as Matt and Wolf want to go for Ali Curry, I think it's going to be one of those two. Um, off the top of my head, I'm leaning towards Texas, but God knows. And then the last graduate transfer is J.R. Vance from Virginia Tech. Um, that's YOLO for all you guys uh, who don't know him by John Vance. Um, and he asks that people hit him up for his values. So you can hit him up if you want to. So before we end this episode, I'm just going to run through the early entrance for the NBL draft quickly. Um, out of the ACC, we have Brian Lyle, the number one prospect. Um, in the country from Notre Dame. No surprise there. We have Villanova's Douglas Eggers. Um, I believe he's a sophomore this year. He's progressed really nicely for the Wildcats. No surprise to see him declare. Uh, Duke loses Willie Gay and Matthew Saldana to the NBL. 
Um, Kevin Back of Georgia Tech is gone. Um, no surprise after he had an incredible year this year. Player of the Year candidate, as mentioned earlier. And Miami loses Sidney Sabellos. He's their only early entrant. But it is worth noting that they're losing a lot of really nice seniors on that team. So they're going to be without not only Sabellos next year, but the graduate transfer Ryan Simmons. They're going to be without Tyron Thatcher. And they're going to be without Trent Jones Jr. Uh, Trent Jones. Trent Nash Jr., sorry. Um, and those are just off the top of my head. They could easily be losing some more guys, but uh, they're only losing one early entrant, thankfully. In the Big North Conference, Michigan loses Xavier Bowman and J.P. Mobley. No surprise there, as they have been two of the best wings in the country and were both highly rated five-star recruits last year. Penn State loses the freshman sensation Henry Phillips and my personal pick for freshman of the year. Northwestern loses their two sophomore studs, Paul Dean, the big man, and Kirby Joplin, the forward. Purdue is going to be without Frank Janusek next year. No surprise there, as Janusek is, like Phillips, a player of the year and player of the year, sorry, freshman of the year candidate um, in the big, the big North. And Wisconsin uh, fans are going to be sad to find out that Johnny Gage, their third option, the junior, um, is not going to be returning for them next season. That's a big loss for the Badgers, who are already going to be losing Franklin White and Claude Hansen in the offseason. The SEC, as always, racking up the early entrance. They lose two players to the draft this year in Raimondo Collier uh, from Georgetown, and Arkansas loses Tommy Reddick, um, who actually came off the bench for them this year, but he put up some great numbers, so it's, it's no surprise that Reddick is headed off to greener pastures. In the PCC, Colorado loses Daryl Haynes. Um, Haynes had a fantastic season this year. I believe he's a junior off the top of my head. Um, don't hold me accountable to that. California loses Jack Larson, who's a, definitely an All-American candidate, as well as William Morales. Oregon loses three players to the NBL draft. That's tied for most in the league. They're going to lose Durrell Brooks, the wing, Victor Marin, who was a redshirt a couple years ago, actually, and Michael Jones, the point guard. USC is going to be without Ricky Setzer next year as he heads off to the NBL. And Colorado State loses Howard Ryu to the draft. The Midwest Conference loses four players as a whole. One of them is from Marquette and Michael Jordan. Um, the sophomore point guard had a great season this year, had a PER of over 30 and averaged roughly uh, 14 and 7, just off the top of my head. So great numbers for a point guard. He's going to be a high pick and a hot commodity in the NBL. And the only other team in the Midwest Conference who are losing players is the Memphis Tigers. They lose the freshman wing Anthony Hanks, last year's number three overall recruit. They lose Nathan Heineman, who was a sophomore wing for them this year. And they also lose their starting point guard, George Page. So that's pretty much a wrap on uh, the early entrance. I don't think there's any major surprises. Obviously, there's a couple um, 74 players, um, 74 overall Raider rated players, and some, some 73s who had great stats who obviously didn't declare for the draft. But um, all in all, I think this is a pretty appropriate list. Um, no huge surprises here. And I think Kyle uh, did a great job picking all these. So I think now is a good time to uh, officially wrap up the podcast. Um, not a false alarm here. This is it. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. And good luck in the tournament. And have a great one. Take it easy.